This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I am Lisa Traeger. I'm Kara Clank. And you know what we do here, guys. We talk SVU. We talk about a true crime that the episode was based on. And usually we talk to a, a celebrity guest that was in the episode, but we are standing strong in support of our union right now. And we are on strike with them. And so we will not be interviewing anybody uh, during the pod until we get a fair deal. And uh, this is the first... First day Lisa and I are seeing each other after our little summer break. We took two weeks because I went to summer camp with my children and went to the East Coast to see my family. And Lisa was selling out shows all over the damn place. I had fun. Um, holler Sacramento and Portland. I had a really great time. It's kind of the extreme case of what we have in our podcast. And one of my biggest pet peeves as a live female performer, I would say, is when you could tell men do not want to be there and they hate you and they don't and they want to make sure their girlfriends or wives are not having a good time. Narcissists, when it's not about them, they have to ruin it. And there was a couple in the front row, and I could tell she was so excited, and he just 
was pissed and was staring at me, not even kindly. Like, you don't have to laugh, but like, yeah, chill yeah. out. But he yeah. was just aggressive, stern, would not. And I said, you need to leave. And he looked at me and kind of scoffed. And I go, I don't know why you think I'm kidding, but I am not performing with your energy here. And you need to get up and leave. And it sucks that you're ruining it for her. And then she was embarrassed and I felt sad for her. And then on the way out, the staff said that he was like, I guess she couldn't handle what I was throwing down. And it's like, what? What are you throwing down as what an audience member? What are you throwing member? down? But also you could sit in the back and not have a good time. But you don't get to ruin my, like you don't get to glare at me with hate in the front row. Leave. Yeah. But it sucks that I have to focus on that when everyone was so great and fun. Well, this was the best part was everyone in Sacramento said, don't leave your hotel. Don't go on walks. It's dangerous. And then the one suggestion I had for fun was to park outside of the prison at 2 a.m. And that's when all the people get let out on bail. And so then there's like a big exodus. So I thought that was kind of a funny suggestion. Did you do it? <laughs> no, I did not. Um, I <laughs> did not do it. Okay. So tell me about trip, about camp, about the kids. Rosie started school today. I mean, there's so yeah, much. Yeah, there's so much going on. It's crazy. I mean, we're in the time machine, but I did just get back from two and a half weeks straight with my kids. And the day I get back, there's a hurricane in LA and school gets canceled. So the first day that which I was, was a about joke. to- Which was a joke. Yeah, which I was had... crazy. It was sunny- and it was 80 degrees. Gorgeous. I sat on a patio yesterday for like four hours. It was so gorgeous. Yeah. And just thinking about you having school canceled for truly no reason. Yeah, yeah. But in a way, I was like, I was glad Rosie got like a little day because I dragged her ass from Vermont to Connecticut, woke her up at four in the morning, got her on a plane, brought her back to LA, and then was going to wake her up in the morning, go start a new school. So she got like a day to just chill and like relax. Yeah, we. I flew with my kids for my first time ever by myself, which was challenging because immediately when we got to the airport, Oscar stuck his finger in Rosie's eye and she cried about it the entire day on and off. But it was pretty good. Oscar just kept being like, I want to get off the plane. And I was like, I don't think you get how this works. Do you sit in the middle or do you sit on the aisle? How do you organize when you're alone? When, I, when I'm alone on this kind of plane where this was a two, three, two plane, I just do the three in the middle where I'm in the center of them and they're on my sides, which kind of sucks because when I travel with Jared, we do two and two and Oscar's like blocked in by the window. This time he just kept being like, bye. He, keep going, he keeps going, I'll be right back, mama. I'm like, where are you going? You can't just be right back. You're two. And he, he just wanted was to- Was he waving to people or what does he yeah, do? Yeah, he just wanted to run up and down the aisles. He just wanted to like walk and like move his body and like- he doesn't really, I find, I have found with my kids that they won't really keep the headphones on until they're like three. So even though he's watching a TV show and he understands that the sound is coming out of these headphones, he's like, get these off of me. So he, he's not as engaged with television as he usually is because he won't fucking listen to it. So it's like a mime show of Baby Shark or whatever. I don't let him watch that. I mean, uh, what was he watching? Oh, Peppa, Peppa Pig. Uh, and I think I'm affecting him with Peppa Pig because he has been calling strawberries strawberries lately. So <laughs> we'll see what's going on there. But he's like talking so much. I always find big trips like make kids have like verbal, kind of like have verbal speed ups kind of. Like when we took Rosie on a big trip when she was little, she just started talking. And Oscar's just like, mom, can I just talk to you for a second? He's just saying all these like weird sentences. But anyway, got them there. Everything was good. Got to see my siblings. Took them to another part of Connecticut where my friend Sky lives in like a, her family lives on this beautiful like point right on Long Island Sound. And like my kids were just like digging for shells and looking for 
crabs and like having the best time. And then I did go see Titanic. I know a bunch of you messaged because you were excited that I was going to see Titanic. I loved it. I mean, obviously, Jared said to me, he goes, it was like a rusical if everybody was extremely good at singing. Like everybody in it was so talented. Like there was, an, and what was crazy was there were a bunch of little slips in my program, meaning that, you know, people were taking over for other people. And I was like, oh my God, are we going to get some kind of like understudy cast? There was a girl in it that I was like- Yes, this but we've girl- talked about understudies before and they are yes. the unsung heroes and the most yes. talented people because they have to know everyone's parts. They have to be ready in a moment's notice. Totally. And they save the day tons of times. And sometimes it's their like one big shot. So they and really their voice perform is ready. it. Yes, yeah, their really... voice is ready. They haven't been doing eight shows a week. I mean, they've been doing eight shows a week, maybe in the chorus, but this show actually doesn't have a big chorus. Like the, there's a couple of understudies. Like you can- if you've seen it. Basically what Titanic is, is it's off Broadway. It's down at this theater that's right off Union Square. It's actually where I went to go see this magician do his one-man show called In and of Itself, Derek Delgaudio. I have thoughts. If anybody saw it, message me. I love magic, but I did not like this man's show. This man tried to do a one-man show where it was magic, but it was also about like his mom being gay and like hate crimes. And I was like, I don't, this is not hitting for me. Yeah, you want your magic and hate crimes separate. I want my magic. Yes, I want my ma- my magic and hate crimes separate, please. But um, they, so they do it there. It's like an off-Broadway theater. It's the story of Titanic, the movie, like Jack and Rose, the whole thing, but set to the music of Celine Dion. And there's a woman playing Celine Dion who like pops in and narrates the whole thing. And the, I did not see the original girl who's been Celine because she's actually the co-creator of the show. She just a couple weeks earlier swapped out. But I got this woman who was like the longest running Elphaba on Broadway and was so talented, like amazing voice. And it's just, fu- it's a really funny part because they're playing this like caricature of Celine Dion where they keep going, I know, right? And like, they're like doing a French Canadian accent and like crossing their eyes and like being all goofy. I was loving it. There's every reference is like pop culture, gay. Like if you're not a woman or a gay man, I'm I'm not really, under- I don't really know if it's like for you, but or you're not into those things. Like Jared got plenty of the references because I make him watch Drag Race and stuff. But there was, I just loved it. And I also took an edible, but I thought it was really, really fun. I'm so excited. Yeah, love supporting the arts. While I, a couple things popped into my mind that I did not tell you. One of the waitresses at the club in Sacramento, she used to live in New York and one of her regular bar, like regular restaurant what, patrons I, well, I don't patrons. know why yes was the Gilgo Beach killer oh my god he would come in with all these other architects and I he asked for her number once or gave his number like something like that but she obviously you know wasn't like she was not interested but she served him all the time Wow. I read yeah. an article about that this girl wrote that she used to work for him. And basically she just kind of described how he was like, just, you know, something a little off, but not like enough to like call the cops or whatever. But she just thought there was something always like weird about him. But fuck, that's crazy. Did you know I had COVID? Yes. I was checking in on you. God, it was so annoying. That is so annoying. Was it like really bad? Um, I didn't feel great and I didn't have energy, but it didn't feel like the first time I had it. So it didn't even right. click in my head. Like I thought it was something else. I was like, oh, my throat hurts. It's obviously because I smoked too much weed. And so I I pulled back on weed and then I was like, 
having all these side effects. And when I looked up online in these Reddits, all of them were symptoms of weed withdrawal. So I just assumed my throat hurts because of weed. I'm having these symptoms because I'm quitting weed. And then I, nothing, it, it just was so much. And I took a test and then I was like, wow, I'm a fool. I'm a fool. I've gotten to- No, that's what's crazy is I keep saying, oh, this doesn't, like if I get a little thing, I'm like, this doesn't feel like the last time I had COVID. I think I would know. But it like then- So when I was in Vermont, so basically after I did some time in Connecticut with my family, I took my kids to this family camp in Vermont where I help run the program. And it's like a fun, really fun week. And I was sick the first like three days with a really super sore throat. And I grabbed a COVID test because I was like, this is not what it felt like last time. And Jared goes, but that's what Lisa said. So I was like, I have to take a test. And I was negative, but like I was concerned, you know, because like I don't want to be like a super spreader at my family camp. Wait, so what did you do in Connecticut in terms of probably just the pool, right? Or did you guys yeah, leave the house? Yeah, we kind of just pooled. There was like a rainy day where I took the kids to this children's museum that they're obsessed with. And I walked Oscar around my old hometown like a little bit on the street. And it's just crazy because all the stores are different and like everything is so, like nothing stays urban the same. Urban planning, it's wild. Uh, urban planning, if you're an urban yeah. planner, hit us up because I want to know if that's just a rom-com job or a real job? No, my friend is an urban planner in New York. And so does the city hire this person? Yeah, he works for like a firm and then like the city hires them. Okay, wow. Yeah. And my friend, my other friend from college actually is like a lawyer who works with him all the time. Um, Because I think she does some kind of law that's urban planning adjacent. Mine was boring about COVID. Tell me about camp was, what are the fun activities? The photos looked very cute. It seemed like a nature good time. Yeah, it's really cute. I mean, this apparently was like the rainiest summer Vermont has ever had. They actually had like a lot of damage in like the state capital and stuff from like microbursts and like huge storms. So normally this is like the most beautiful week, Um, but we did get a couple rainy days, which was fine. But Honestly, I love it. A bunch of my old friends came back with their kids. Like I was at camp with like kids, people who were my counsel, my campers and friends. And then we were counselors together. And now we're all back together with our kids there. And our kids are like wow. becoming friends with each other. It was just really cute. And I had a horrible bed, so I didn't sleep the whole week. But do you really, get your was, own cabin? Like, do you and your family get your own cabin? Yeah, we get a cabin because we have young kids. A lot of people are in a, are in like the platform tents where it's like four beds are on like a wooden platform with like these big canvas tents over them. And I, we'll move to that probably like in a year or two, but just because my kids are small, like, you know, I, I have them in a cabin right now. And Jared, I think likes having a bathroom because if you are in a tent, you just share like a bathroom with other people. But- It's great. I don't have to think about cooking a meal for my kids for an entire week, not one meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, cocktail hour every day at five. Really fun. There's a variety show. Wait, you guys are getting hammered at camp? (laughs) Well, the participants are all allowed to drink during cocktail hour. I'm not supposed to because technically I'm staff, but my boss doesn't really care if I have one glass of wine or whatever. But people are drinking. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, and staff watches the kids so that the parents can like go have a normal conversation and eat a cheese plate. And then 
uh, there was a variety show and Rosie did do three numbers in the variety show. Now, if you're listening to this and you have a child, you probably know this song where it's like a TikTok song or something. It's only a minute long. And Lisa, we've played it for you and you were very flabbergasted about what the point of it was. But it's this song where like a phone rings and someone goes, hello, hello, is anyone on the line? And then a voice goes, watermelon meow meow. And then it turns into this little like techno song where they just keep saying watermelon meow meow. Rosie got there and her little best friend boyfriend from last summer was like, I love watermelon meow meow. And Rosie was like, so do I. So they immediately <laughs> came up with a variety show act where I was the person on the phone. They were behind the stage and every time it was watermelon meow meow, they came out. I'll post the video. If people have an interest, I'll post the video on our Instagram uh, stories. But there's a video and it's so cute and funny. And then Rosie and her best buddy, Bo, and this kid, Patrick, they always end the variety show with a dance party. Last year, as you all know, they did Sandstorm. This year they did, I like to move it from Mad a Madagascar movie called Escape to Africa. <laughs> and it's the Will I Am version of I like to move it, move it. And it's just fun. My kids had the best time. They swam in the lake. Oh my God. I was so nervous that I had these like bitchy little California kids that would only swim, swim in pools. They loved the lake this time. Got in the lake, loved it. That's one of the reasons I'm um, planning a trip back home. I want to jump into Lake Michigan off yeah. the bike path. Like someone posted a photo of the lake and I go, that looks appealing to me and I need to jump in it. I need to jump. I love lakes. I love lakes. the sharks are out and about this summer. I also- The sharks I, are sharking. I went to the Grove for the first time, the mall. It was amazing. I don't know why I haven't been to the Grove more often. It was gorgeous. But I saw Meg too. Not good. Ah. Not good. Unfortunately, the worst of the summer, I would say. Oh, no. You've been seeing so many movies. Yeah, I was really upset because I love Meg One. And I just really wanted an explosive good time. And it was just more of a mess of a good time. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, it was. That sucks. Wait, was, but how is the, why is the, is the Grove to me is identical to the Americana? No, I think it's chicer. I think it's sexier. I think Americana is more wide and sunshine. And I think the Groves is like sexier. I mean, it's both owned by Caruso, I think. But yes, um, yes. there's just, it's more high class store. I guess, no, they're both amazing malls. There's something a little sexier about the Grove to me. Well, the Americana is doing their best. They've got a Gucci coming in, a bigger Tiffany. They're trying to spruce up and get higher end shit. No, and it, it, it's a luxurious, amazing mall. There was just something about, like, the extra trees. Like, there was just something, you know, maybe it was because I was having a margarita, looking at people. I'm not sure. But yeah. I, like, I, like, dressed up. I was so excited. Oh, my go gosh. And then the Meg was a bummer. Hmm. Yeah, Meg, too. Not Who's in good. those movies? Who's in that? Jason Statham. Okay. Oh my God. So I got asked to do a podcast. Um, I don't remember the name of it. It's Andrew Arolfo's podcast, but it's IMDB Games. Ooh. Where it's all about Star Meter. And it asks they ask you questions and you're competing with another comic to like win. I won by over like 23,000 points. I truly demolished this person. Yeah. Um, that's and it's because we're on IMDb because of this podcast so much that I really got in. I know the Star Meters, baby. And I had... Yeah. I'm actually pretty impressive, I'll be honest, because they give you your star meter, and I was pretty shocked. What's your star meter? I'm at 6,000. You're the 6,000th most famous person in, on IMDb? Yeah. That's pretty I, exciting. I know. Early July, I was at 3,000, 
because I was in like a project. But yeah, I mean, it felt pretty good. Well, and people are probably searching you. They're yeah. like, who it is was that? Because I guess they're like, guess what your star meter is? And I guessed 100,000 for myself. And then I was pleasantly surprised. I was really excited. 100,000? Oh my God. Well, now you know I'm looking up mine and am I, <laughs> I going to be sad? You might am have to go on your sad? IMDb Pro though. You're not going to be Oh, I don't sad. have Pro. I have Pro, baby. <laughs> Wait, they're not just going to show me? No, you have to have Pro. But this was my best. And I love this person. But I was against this comic, Mike uh, Falzone. And the question was, pick an SNL cast member. And you basically just compete who has the best star meter. And mm -hmm. this person chose Chris Red, who's an angel. I love him. I've known him since Chicago. He's very talented. He's out there working. But, you know, I said Pete Davidson. There's also people like, I don't know, Will Ferrell, Tina Fey. Julia <laughs> Louis-Dreyfus. Eddie Murphy, like yeah. to pick Chris Red was just so funny, and that's what that's that put me in the over twenty thousand point win category. I would say <laughs> <laughs> it was so fun. It's the funnest game of all time. It, it was like such a joy to play it. So many fun rounds. I wish I knew the names so we can you know shout out our friend. This intro is going long. Also, you know your camps in Vermont. We're on tour. We're gonna be in Vermont. We're in lots yes. of cities. Our southern cities. Why aren't you buying tickets? If you ever want us to come back, you better fucking get your asses over yeah, there. Yeah, we're gonna have to literally just be like no south if we can't get people to Atlanta, Charlotte, Raleigh. We're in D.C. this weekend. Stand up and. Um, and podcasts. We're doing two shows. I'm really excited. I'm excited to get back out there. New games, oh, new yeah. fun, new episodes. I'm like pumped. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited Wait, to be this, back on the tour. You know, yeah, also this comes out DC. five days before we start. I know, and but my DC, DC is going to be insane because I'm doing a college in Connecticut. I'm doing Central, like Connecticut University yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, But I'm doing that on the 7th and then driving all night to DC with my opener and then I will get to DC in the morning and sleep until my show, I think. But it's oh gonna be gosh. it's gonna be reminiscent of my early comedy days, like driving all night and you know, well, honestly, really traffic is it. so bad around New York and DC that like you're probably doing the smartest thing because the traffic on those areas, the Mid Atlantic Corridor, it's really terrible. Um <laughs> Mid Atlantic but Corridor. That's five so days, five days from now we're gonna be in DC. We sold out the 7 p.m., baby. We added Feels a brunch good. show. We added Feels a 3.30. Come on down, have a little daytime fun with your gals. What better breakfast than a mozzarella stick? I can't think of it. You I know what I mean? Like, I, why not a plate of nachos in the afternoon on a Sunday? Yeah, Sunday scaries, I don't think so. Not when you're going to a podcast and getting buzzed at 3.30. Our intro's so long. Listen, yeah, um, we gotta some go. of you fast forwarded it because we did. We had some thoughts on the Barbie movie and you should be ashamed of yourselves. We deserve an opinion too, okay? We deserve yeah. an opinion. Are you going to stop listening because I didn't like the Meg too? Is that what, <laughs> are you going to turn your back on us? Yeah, like we said, like I I listen to podcasts where I hate the host takes all the time. I just keep it pushing, you keep know? Pushing. I still think they're funny and great. I know because of the strike, I couldn't even promote the show I'm in, but there is a new cartoon on Hulu that I really love. It's called Praise PD. It's incredible. Oh, I yeah, would watch it's Anna it. Dresden. I've watched every episode two, three times. It is, I hope, I mean, I hope the strike and everything gets together for my own career, but also so I can get more seasons of this fucking show. Yeah, I am she's so very mad. funny. It's already a, a finale. It's done. 10 episodes Ugh. are done. I'm like heartbroken. It's so 
fun and good. And I'm, I'm like, so glad so you're not asking me what I'm caught up on because I've watched no TV in the last two and a half weeks and I'm about to sit and catch up on my Roni and everything I need to catch up on right now because whew, I am behind. And SVU, we're starting. We're starting. Yeah. Let's start. Let's start. We've got a great episode for you today. Don't go anywhere. Okay, we are doing Web Such a Dark Episode, Season 7, Episode 21, from the mid-aughts, 2006, this episode came out. We open on a little puppet saying, how did you feel when your mom's boyfriend touched you like that? Like that, like a very typical, like what you think of, like show me on the dolly where you were touched or whatever. And it's obviously an educational presentation happening at a little school. And I immediately recognized the puppeteer. And I remember recognizing her when I watched this episode. Her name is Jennifer Barnhart. And I saw her in Avenue Q off Broadway months before this episode aired. So when I watched this episode in 2006, I was like, wait, I know that woman because she's on stage for like all of Avenue Q. She's a big part of it. So she also also went on to be in the Broadway version of the show. She's also a Sesame Street gal. And she played Chicago Police Department Detective Lorna Diamond in the episode Behave, which is the Jennifer Love Hewitt episode. So I haven't watched that guy in a while. So if you see it, you might recognize this puppeteer from that. So she's giving this puppet presentation to a school about bad touch. And they get all the kids to say, say no, then go. And then they tell the kids if they have any secrets or confessions, they can talk to them privately after. So I thought that was kind of weird, but great. Cut to the kids lined up to tell the puppet, the puppet and the puppeteer about how they rub boogers on their sister. And, you know, she's like, well, would you want boogers on you? And whatever. And then next up is Colin, one of my brother's names. And he says, my friend says rubbing weenies feels good. And, you know, the music the music violins start cueing, so we know this is like a serious accusation. He says, it's his well, friend. Yeah, and we need the violins because there is a puppet in the room. Yes. So we don't know how serious it is. We don't need a slide whistle. You know, we need to fully, like, make this definitive that it's serious. I also so, wonder, like, are there puppet open mics? Like, how do you get in the puppet universe? Are you just puppeting in your house and go audition at Sesame Street? I mean, great question. Do you think all the, like, Bob's Bakers people? We live near Bob's Baker, one of the most famous marionette theaters. It's not the same kind of puppeteering, but I wonder if you try to excel in all the fields and then you try to move your way up to Well, Sesame is Bob Street. a guy? Like, have you met Bob? Bob Baker? I don't know. Yeah. I think he might be dead. Uh, great yeah. question. I don't know. But we should ask our friend Adina. She's worked on Sesame Street with Cookie Monster. I bet she could tell us what the trajectory of puppet she people is. She knows the underworld of puppets. Yeah. I think she knows all about it. She's also done stop motion, which famously I'm obsessed with. Well, because this woman's clearly a very, you know, successful puppet yes. woman. And so yeah. they're taking, they're getting top of the line people for a tiny part. <laughs> yes, for sure. You but know. I saw Avenue Q with my uncle at the time of this. I the, 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 When it came out, I was 25 or something. And I was like, this is great. And then it became this like big Broadway show. So this girl was a big part of it. Anyway, so he, this kid goes, Colin is saying, my friend says Warbing Weenies feels good, violins. And he goes, they, they go, who's your friend? And he's like, it's my friend Jake. And he just turns around, points to him and everything, narks him out real quick. And I, I just think I have a brother named Jake and a brother named Colin. So Jake freezes. Jake freezes. He's like busted. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now we've got Stabler one-on-one -on -one with Jake. And it's like, did you ask Colin if you could touch his weenie? And Jake is like very forthcoming. He's like, yep. 
And then he also admits <laughs> someone touched his weenie, but he can't tell who it is. In walks Jake's brother and mom, and the mom's like, what's going on here? And Stabler says, Jake says someone's been abusing him. And the mom goes, oh no, not again. Close up on Jake, close up on Stabler with his huge forehead looking very confused. And that's the credits. At the top of act one, the mom is talking to Huang and telling him about how it's not actually Jake who's been abused before. It's her older son, Teddy. While she was pregnant with Jake, she caught her ex-husband touching Teddy. And her ex's name is Gregory Hensel. And the boys have her last name now because obviously who wants to walk around with your um, you know, pedophile father's last name? The guy, this is wild. The guy pled guilty to sodomy, got 10 years and was out in seven. And the mom goes, it was a joke. And that is a joke. Like raping your own son seven years, that seems very light. Then the guy filed for visitation last year. Teddy obviously refused to see him. But Jake begged her to let him go see his dad, a dad he's never met before. And like, Jake is eight. And the mom refused until the judge awarded Greg weekly supervised visits. Like, I do not get how that would be possible. Like, I feel like you molest one of your kids. You just don't get to ever see them ever again. Huang starts- But you served your time. I mean, the thing is, it's like, not shock. None of this is shocking after the research you've done. Yeah. It's just, it feels a little bit different to me. Like, oh yeah, you rob a bank. I'm not going to say you can never walk into a bank again. Like pedophilia is like a different kind of, you know, issue. Like, I I don't know. Who knows if there is a cure? Maybe you can't go to a bank again. I don't know if that would be that. that (laughs) Maybe you're not allowed in. You're not allowed in. You can use the outdoor ATM, but you're not allowed in. We can't let you in. No lollipop. You're not allowed to come in and do any checking. So... Huang starts to argue that the visits are therapeutic. And it's like, Huang, read the room, dude. She's not into your your reasoning here. And she's like, therapeutic for who? He ruined Teddy's life. And now he's going to do the same to Jake. And Huang's like, but therapy. And the mom's like, therapy did not help Teddy seven years ago. She took him to a shrink and he wouldn't talk. So now in the next scene, Huang is walking up to the two brothers. Jake is watching his brother play a video game. And he's like, oh my God, cool. You got it on this. You scored this level. And the kid's like, Teddy's like, shut up, butt brain. And I recognize the kid playing Teddy. His name is Connor Paolo. He was Serena Vanderwoodson's younger brother from the OG Gossip Girl. If you're a Gossip Girl fan like I was <laughs> in my 20s watching a show about New York high schoolers. He's also in the season four episode called Juvenile where the two middle school kids assault and murder this woman. And then he's the mastermind, but he blames it on the other kid. But then that kid gets tried as an adult because he's 14. Crazy episode. We'll probably do Whoa. that one at some point. Yeah. So this kid, he's got yeah. range. Yeah. And these are only three seasons apart. So they've got Connor Paolo on speed dial and they are booking him, baby. That episode is fucked. That yeah. ending is sad. Becky Ann Baker's in it and it is... Yes. And he plays Haunting. the he plays the kind of like he reminds me of the same vibe as the kid that Kyle McLaughlin shoots, like kind of weird yes. socio vibes, you know? Yeah. So anyway, Huang Little he's, Faces, big evil. Yeah. Yeah. And he's only 12. So even though he did all the shit, like somehow the two-year age difference, he gets a totally different punishment well, and type of trial. Because Judith Light went at him so hard. Yeah. Like Judith Light just wanted this big kid to suffer. No, it's the mom's fault because they offer a deal. Yeah. And they're like, take the deal. Eliana Douglas, everyone's like, take the deal. You don't know about a jury. Just let him serve a few years. And she goes, no, no, no. Everyone will see my boy's innocent. And it's like, he got 25 years. 
Oh my God. It's so horrible. It anyway, is, he puked and he didn't help. He didn't help. You are in trouble, but I feel like five years could have worked. Yeah. Juvenile, this kid's not going to offend again. <laughs> like, it's great. And he is anyway. 14. I don't, yeah. Well, this, we're not doing it's juvenile. It's a different episode. It's a different episode. I we, we will cover this when we cover juvenile, which we will do at some point. So Huang takes Jake on a walk and then Stabler sits with Teddy, who like won't look up from his video game. Stabler mentions the abuse and Teddy's like, it's no big deal. And he's like, well, if he hurt your little brother, it's a big deal. And he's like, whatever. And Stabler's like, what are you playing? And he's like, it's called a video game. You're not very smart, are you? So he's a victim, but he is also a little asshole as well. And he says he's never going to see his asswipe dad ever again. And if Jake wants to, it's his business. And he's like, I'm supposed to care if my brother gets molested, but clearly this kid is either a sociopath or is just so traumatized he refuses to show emotion. Huang is talking to Jake, who is very cute. Like, he's supposed to be eight, but he seems younger. He's explaining how him and his dad watched a movie and then they played Clue. And Huang says, oh, that's where you catch the bad guys. Like, I catch bad guys. Do you know any bad guys? And he's like, not in real life. And mom and Finn are watching through the glass. Finn tells her they have to run a rape kit. She's so upset. She remembers going through all of that with Teddy and she thought this was all in the past. Elliot comes in and says, Teddy's a tough nut to crack. And the mom's like, I told you. He locks himself in his room playing games. He won't eat at the table with us. She starts to freak out uncontrollably. She basically starts to have like a panic attack and is like, this is a nightmare. I can't believe this is happening again. And It is wild. It is. And Stabler has to like calm her down. And it's, you know. So now Stabler goes to talk to the pedo father and he's with the guy's parole officer. And he explains that, Gregory is in some kind of special pilot program where he offenders meet regularly with a parole officer, a psych counselor, and a polygraph examiner. And it's like, and he goes, who knows if it's working with these dirtbags? Also, don't run poly, polygraphs are not even acceptable as, as like in court. And you're just kind of teaching guys to beat it, I feel like, when you give them every week, you're just teaching people how to like, how it works and how you beat it. He also says, he doesn't supervise the visits. So this full child rapist is allowed to see his young eight-year-old son without a law enforcement or parole person there at all. The guy's sister is the supervision. I like cannot, like, I'm, I literally wrote, I was like, fuck that. Like if a judge made me take my kid to see, to these like barely supervised visits, I would just go fugitive. I would just move to another state or like another country and be like, we're out of here, not happening. Um, but I know that is, yeah, uh, he's, uh, that's uh, privilege. <laughs> he's uh, crying about parent alienation. That's how he got yeah. He got a parent <laughs> alienation lawyer. Exactly. He's like, it's not, fair. She's turning him against me. So the sister All comes- I did was ruin my kid's brain and body and life forever. Yeah. And I'm not allowed to see his little brother, like in what world? So the sister comes to the door in a little you vest You didn't even uniform. know him. Like that's the other yeah. thing about the son. It's like he was born while you were imprisoned for, you know, raping your other kid. You don't even know him. Why are you acting like you need yeah, to see like, him? Yeah, like, I also can't imagine at seven years old when you're a little boy and you have a 14-year-old brother who hates this guy, why you wouldn't just be like, yeah, I hate him too because, like, I follow everything my older brother does, you know? Like, I don't know why you would insist on these visits, but maybe, I mean, other kids are like, oh, my dad, my dad, my dad. Maybe you're like, I want to see my dad. I don't know. But the pedophile sister comes to the door in a little vest uniform and the PO asks, have you been letting him spend alone time with Jake? And she goes, no way, I know the rules. And then Gregory walks in and goes, oh, you brought backup. I don't remember robbing a bank. And it's like, 
no, you repeatedly sexually assaulted your own child. Robbing a bank would be a better crime. Like, what are you talking about? And the actor here is Tim Hopper. And he was in an episode that we've covered called Taken. Remember about the setup rape at the hotel with uh, Jenna Lamia? Where it was like, oh, we're just trying to get all the money from the hotel. He's Classic. the cousin. The best. Yeah. He's the cousin who got the job as a bellhop oh. to try to help with the whole scam. Yeah. My God. A little so, hillbilly face. Yeah. Welcome back to the mix, Tim Hopper. And then Stabler takes Gregory into another room to talk to him and explains, Jake says he was abused and he goes, it wasn't me. I would never. And it's like, dude, you, you really can't say I would never. Like you, he goes, I've changed. And a judge thinks I've changed. And they, do you think they'd let me see my son if I wasn't cured? And it's like, I, I truly don't know why they're letting you see your son. But he says he did his time, learned his lesson. It's like, he goes, I'm a grown man who lives with my sister. I'm not allowed to be alone with my own kid. That's my life on my on parole. It's like, okay, sad, sad song. But it's also like, it was about learning a lesson. That to me is like when you rob a bank, like learn your lesson. You can't steal money. Not like you can't abuse children. Anyway, he says he can't get away with shit. He takes a lie detector every week and his next appointment is on Monday. And Stabler goes, it just got rescheduled. So now we cut to Huang giving him a lie detector test. He's passing the questions, but Finn's like, he takes this once a week. He can probably beat the box, like I said. And then he asks him if he was alone with Jake and he says no, and that is a lie. So then Stabler goes to talk to the sister and goes, you lied. And I'm gonna charge you with a co as a co-conspirator if you do not talk, like you left him alone with, with Jake. She goes, listen, I had to take a shower before work. I left them alone for 10 minutes. What could happen in 10 minutes? It's like full sexual assault could happen in 10 minutes, Jesus. So they bring Hensel to lock up and he's proclaiming his innocence. They're like, Jake is eight. He's the same age Teddy was. And he goes, did Jake say I touched him? He didn't, did he? You have to believe me. I didn't do this, blah, blah, blah. Finn is like, we don't have to do a damn thing for you. And that's when they get a call from Warner. As usual, the story needs to move along. Warner needs us. So now we are at Melinda's house. She's got traces of saliva from around the area of Jake's genitals. And Finn and Stabler are like, great, let's put this guy away. But hold up. Melinda shows them Jake's mitochondrial DNA, which is the DNA you get from your mother, and then his abuser's mitochondrial DNA. And boom, they are an exact match. So it is a familiar relation, but it is dun-dun Teddy. So Finn goes like father, like son. And that's the end of act one. So now at school, they're going there to find Teddy or whatever. Finn says the soccer coach said Teddy showed up for morning practice, which I didn't really know that that was like a thing, like a before school practice was a thing for soccer. Like I know swimming for sure and ice skating and things like that. But then he said, a kid said something to him and he took off like a shot. And he's not at home because the mom says she hasn't seen him since this morning. So they walk into the school and there are pictures of Teddy plastered everywhere. They kind of look like posed glamour shots, but Stabler goes, some of these are hardcore. So I guess the ones that we don't look, like we don't see directly are probably look like child um, sex abuse uh, materials. So they head to the cafeteria where they hear a commotion and it's a fight of Teddy and this other kid like punching each other and fighting and they're going, kill him, break his, break this freak's nose, blah, blah, blah. And they break them apart and he goes, Gordy did it. He hung those pictures and Gordy yells, up yours, fairy boy. Okay. Um, it and is so, so fucked up to do that. Like that kid should be expelled from yeah, school. Yeah. That is so fucked up. Yes. Because even in Mean Girls, it's funny. Like, Jawbreaker, not as intense. This is like, fuck you, little kid. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Stabler has Teddy now in like an office room and Teddy has very- And how, how, did he, how was he able to print so many? And some of them are giant sizes. Like- I Where feel was like he, he getting the printing capabilities for all these photos? I think at the school newspaper, which we find out later, I think he was using the school printer. But Stabler has Teddy in an office right now. And I can't not call out that Teddy has very red lips. He literally looks like he just like pounded some Hawaiian punch. I'm not trying to like be pervy, but, but he just, he, his lips look like he's wearing lipstick. Like they're very red. He also has really like kind of curly gelled short hair. He is Betty Boop from the neck up. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. He does have that vibe, for sure. Somebody, like, jokied him. So anyway, they're like, why would Gordy do that? Why would he want to humiliate you? And Stable, and he doesn't want to say anything. Stabler's like, if you don't talk, I can't help. And he goes, why are you so interested in me? Those pictures turn you on. And Stabler goes, yeah, the ones with your little brother made me sick. And he goes, uh, he goes, the rape kit proves that you hurt your brother. And he goes, no, I didn't hurt Jake. And then Stabler goes, you molested him. And Teddy goes, so my dad did stuff to me and it didn't mess me up. And it's like, wow, this is, you're telling on yourself pretty hard here. Like you don't even, first you said you didn't hurt him. And then you're like, wow, a little, some mouth stuff's not bad. It's like terrible. And then he's like, your dad screwed up your head so bad. You don't even know what you've done. So now we cut to Finn talking to Gordy and this kid fucking sucks. He says, hanging pictures is not a crime. I know my rights. I'm in journalism. And Finn goes, you're in puberty. And it's like, uh, LOL, I worked on my high school and college newspapers and I did not know my rights. Like if a cop had come to talk to me at those times, I would have been like, what do you need to know? And the kids all, freedom of speech is the cornerstone of democracy. And then he he says he hung all those pictures because Teddy's a freak and everyone needs to know it. So it's like, or what are you, Tucker Carlson? Like your work is not, like this is not important work that you're doing. Also, where is Tucker gone? Did he get a job? He's just chilling, waiting uh, it out, he's going, going to court. I think he's going through a lawsuit because he's trying to like start his own, I believe, Twitter show or X, whatever we call that place now. And, but he's got like non-competes with Fox that he has to like fight in court because he's not supposed to work for like the next two years. Ooh, I love fighting your little boss daddy. Yeah, but I also hope that I also hope that the contract is binding and Fox wins and that that man just can't talk for two years. That would be so great. I would love it. I mean, he can oh, talk. 100%. But, like, but the thought yeah. of him wasting his money in court is yeah. nice too. Yeah, pretty nice. So, but he's so rich. I mean, the contract they bought him out with was millions. So he's probably just using their own money to fight them. But anyway, this kid is fucking terrible. He's like, when Fid goes, did Teddy touch you? He goes, I'm not an F word slur. Like, you know, and it's like, you're a young Republican for sure, Gordy. Like, like, you have to let the school know that this kid might be gay. Like, that's what's behind all of this. Like, that's your, that's your uh, like, journalistic integrity in action. Anyway, Finn thinks that Gordy made the pictures with Photoshop, but he goes, no, I found them on the web. Everybody drink the name of the episode. And then he found a link that got posted on Teddy's MySite profile, and it led to this website called teddystreehouse.com. So now we cut to Teru, a.k.a. Ruben Morales, a.k.a. Joel De La Fuente, friend of the pod, who actually has a big episode today. So, you know, we're happy we've been able to talk to him. And he's giving the gang the whole breakdown. He calls Teddy's Treehouse a child porn superstore. He says there's pics, webcam videos starring Teddy. And according to the billing, it's all Teddy. These guys pay 
the membership is $30 a month and these guys pay Teddy and it all gets deposited into an online account and then he buys shit online with it. There's never any cash changing hands. Um, and he would schedule live shows and the website has like is basically a window into his bedroom and all these pedophiles pay and it's over a thousand guys. So over a thousand guys paying 30 a, mo- a month is, that's 30K a month that this kid is making on his videos. You can't track the subscribers. They're smart. They use offshore ISPs that don't respond to like U.S subpoenas. And so they're like, go get the kid to give up some names, Cragen says. But Stabler's like, let me start with Jake first. So Jake says, talking, so Stabler's not talking to Jake. And he says that the pictures are for Teddy's friends on the computer. And he said they made, they took pictures and they made the pretending movie. Teddy's friends told them to do stuff and they did it like acting in a movie. And Teddy told him that his friends were buying tickets to see it. And that, you know, if they buy tickets, he can use the money for presents for Teddy. And then Teddy said, if you get good at it, they'll buy you presents too. He says he's only done one of these videos, but Teddy said we could do more, but so far they've only done one. Behind the glass of the one-way mirror, Morales is pissed. Like, he's like, Teddy abused his brother on camera for those pervs. Like, and Cragen goes, shut the site down. And then Stabler's like, oh, was it fun? And Jake's like, I don't know. And, you know, that's when Teddy promised him that he would get his own presence too. And Finn says, Teddy's lawyer's here. So in an interview room, Teddy's lawyer is always fun to see him. Trevor Langan, a.k.a. Peter Herman, Mr. Mershka Hargate. And a, a love interest, I guess. Yeah. On the new, just and just like that season, which I love. I haven't seen any of it yet. I'm going to watch it all on my vacation next week. But yeah, wild. Um, I'm glad he's getting more time because he is truly one of the most handsome men, I think, working. Stabler busts in and says, Jake told me about the pretending movies. And Teddy goes, so? And Stabler goes, those men are using you. And Teddy goes, they pay me. It's my choice. And he goes, like, it was Jake's choice to be molested by you. And Teddy goes, go to hell. And the lawyer is like, even Trevor's like, you got to calm down, bro. And he goes, Stabler goes, you think you're this little entrepreneur, but you've committed serious crimes. Trevor's like, would you consider a deal if Teddy names his subscribers? And Teddy's like standing up for these guys. He's like, no way. These guys pay me crazy loot. You think I'm going to give that up? Like he has like no concept at all that he's committed crimes and like fully ruined his brother's life. And his lawyer is trying to say that Teddy is clearly the victim here while Teddy's like, I am not a victim. I make money. Like I am Mark Cuban. And so the men who pay for this are the problem is what Trevor says. And then Teddy goes, he calls it a problem. I call it a business. And they both look at Teddy like, fuck, this kid is super fucked. Let's step outside and talk about this. Let's go talk shit about him over there. Yeah. So Stabler goes, maybe after arraignment, he'll realize this isn't a joke. Like, does jail time not mean anything to you, Teddy? And Trevor is arguing that he can give up like hundreds of real perps. He just needs time to get Teddy to agree to give up the names. So they bring their convo around to where the mom is waiting. And she's like, wait, what? You're arresting him? And they're like, I have to. He molested his little brother. And Trevor argues he's acting out his own abuse. And he's like, let me work on him. He begs them to let Teddy go home for the night. Jake will be safe. The mom is sending her to her mother's house. He'll shut down if he goes to jail. We'll never get anything out of him ever again. And Stabler gives in and is like, take him home, but I want him here at 9 a.m. ready to name names. And the mom's like, thank you, Stabler. I love your forehead. And so now, Elliot 
is in a very fast-paced walk and talk with Novak. And she's like, risky move, dude. Hope Langan can get Teddy to talk. And Stabler's like, I'd rather bag the predators than the prey. So when they walk into Casey's office, sitting on the couch is Donna Geisen. They don't don't even say her last name, so I'm kind of guessing here on the pronunciation. And she's a U.S. attorney played by Kate Mulgrew, a.k.a. Red from Orange is the New Black, and Captain Janeway from Star Trek, which I would never know, but every time I was watching Orange, my husband would come in and go, it's Captain Janeway. So for for all the Trekkies, there you go. And she, you know, she has that like, sort of like foxy, foxy uh, lockjaw voice that I love. And she's like, I'm just here to tell you that the U.S. Attorney's Office is taking custody of Tenny Winnick. So apparently they're, trying to argue that they've been building a case against this kid for a year. And then they're like, and then you guys bust in. And, you know, Stabler's like, he's just a kid. And she goes, justice doesn't care if he's four or 14. And so I don't understand how if they've been working a case against this for a year, they let him be in a house with his eight-year-old brother where like they could have inferred that he could be doing something or like that you're just going to let child pornography like run in and out of a house where an eight-year-old is living. So I blame the U.S. attorneys for Jake's problem, Jake's issues. I mean, that's what we just had that like episode with the pediatrician where it was like, oh, the cops did their investigation. And in that time, another kid was molested and then they're trying to like sue the department. So anyway, she says, when we got word of the arrest, we voted out the indictment this afternoon. I don't know what that means. They made it so that his indictment in New York court is out. And so that now they're going to try him as in a U.S. like federal case. I don't know. And Casey goes, what if he flips on all his subscribers? And she was like, no one made him build the website. And they're like, do you want one confused kid or a thousand pervs? And she tells them, you know, we have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to producers of kitty smut. And Casey's like, there's a big difference between this kid, Teddy, who is a victim himself and a grown man who exploits kids. And Donna says he exploited his little brother. And it's like, bitch, you let it happen. You were building a case against him. Anyway, she says, we're not going to wait until the morning and starts to make a call. And Stabler goes, wait, 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 wait. I'll bring him in. So Stabler goes to the house. The mom says, I just talked to him and so is his lawyer. He will not reconsider. And so I guess his move is just like, I'll take jail time. Like, I don't understand. He's going to go to jail for a chunk of his life because he doesn't want to give up the people that are paying him, but you can't use the money when you're in jail. So I don't, I guess I don't get the 14-year-old logic here, but that's probably part of the point. So he... Uh, she knocks on Teddy's door and he goes, what do you want? But he won't open the door. And then Stabler, he hears Stabler's there. He starts to break down the door and they see when they open the door that the window is open. Teddy's on the fire escape, escaping. And Stapler, Stapler, I just called him Stapler. That's a first. I've never called him Stapler before. Stapler. Wait, I'm obsessed with that. Because <laughs> then maybe we can make Stapler merch. <laughs> We can't make stapler merch, but no one owns a stapler. We need something that's a good um, Benson fuck up. like Just um, a stapler with a butt. Yeah. <laughs> stapler with a butt. A butt and a gun. Let's go. All of our artistic listeners, let's get the, let's get the stapler butt going. So stapler chases him to the street, but loses him. Ooh, I have an idea. It's like a stapler, and then it's like the back of his butt, like sitting on it seductively. You know His what I mean? His butt is sitting like, on the stapler? 
Yeah, like he's a diving board. He's on a diving board or like he's one of those iron workers eating lunch in the sky, you know, like <laughs> sitting on a thing. Or but like what if he is a stapler and like the top of the stapler is the butt cheeks. So every time you staple something, it's like you're pushing down the butt cheeks and the cheeks are kind of what's crunching the stapler into something. I like that. The staple, too. you know, I don't know. We're work- we're just workshopping this. You guys are listening and to our genius as it happens. When I think of stapler, I only think of the red stapler from Office Space. Yeah. Uh, somebody took my stapler and that's not, it's my stapler. Yeah, I love that. You're um, so good at impressions. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much. Uh, okay, so top of act three, the gang's all working hard, but Teddy is in the wind. There's train alerts and airport alerts, but they're like, he won't get out of, out of the city. And- you hear a voice go, he will if he has help, and it's Morales. And he's been monitoring the chats on Teddy's website message boards. And there's a guy named Sunshine Guy 9000 who wrote, Teddy's at the nest, help is on the way. And Cragen's like, hold up. I told you to shut this website down, but you let these pervs keep chatting online and now Teddy is missing because you disobeyed my order. Like, Craig is about to pop a top. And the feds are gonna want somebody's head. Give me one reason why I shouldn't hand them yours. And Morales is like, I can make this right. The post right before Sunshine Guy is a guy named Funfella13. These names are so crazy. Funfella13 says, we gotta help Teddy. And then Sunshine Guy says, help is on the way. So it seems like they're working together. Uh, Sunshine guy went dark after these posts, but fun fella's been all over the web chatting on other teen sites. We got to lure him out and sweat him for an ID on sunshine guy, they say. Craigan goes, set it up. So fun fella just entered a chat room called soccer rules with a Z. And I love that. What do you do when you go into a soccer rules chat room? You just go, oh, I love soccer. What's your favorite part? Oh, I, I love kicking the ball and scoring goals. And what kind of shin guards do you wear? I don't know. Like, where do these conversations go? I'll tell you where they go. Morales starts posting as a 15-year-old named Brad, who was a sweeper on the JV team. And he he does not like girls. Ew, yuck. Fun fella falls for this in record speed. Asks, are you a virgin? I can show you how to do it so it won't hurt. The guy wants to meet. It's like, it takes 10 seconds. This pedophile has been snared and we are meeting him. So now we're all in position before the meet. They let Morales come along. I, why is there a CSU? Why, why is there a Teru guy in the car with them? It's confusing. We'll find out. Yeah. So he's in the car with Stabler and Stabler's like, dude, why did you disobey Cragen and not shut down the website? And Morales is like, I knew those pedophiles would just go somewhere else. And he's like, so you just risk your career? And he's like, I needed to get him. He explains that his sister is a single mom who works long hours. Her son, Freddie, is 12. He goes online to make friends. A new buddy convinced him to go see a movie. Turned out the guy was 43, took the, uh, Morales' nephew to a hotel and sexually assaulted him. So they never found the guy and Morales feels bad because he's the one that gave Freddie the computer. So this has a personal connect for Morales. So then Morales spots fun. And we, I think we talked to him about this role a little bit. So if you want to go back and listen to the episode where we talked to him, we now have all of our guest names in our episodes. So you should be able to find it. So Morales then spots fun fella walking down a busy city street. Fun fella walks into this diner where Finn is waiting and Finn goes, What's up, fun fella? I'm a little older than 15, but maybe we can still be friends. And that, if I was a pedophile, that would be my worst nightmare. A Finn <laughs> coming up to me with like a little pithy joke about how I'm a pedophile. And then other cops stand up and grab him and he tells them his name is Ralph Zestner. And in the bag that he's got with him, he's got wine coolers and condoms. Because he said, oh, I just came in here to eat. And it's like, with a bag of wine coolers and condoms? Okay, sir. So in interrogation, Finn goes, what were you planning on getting frisky with the Hamburglar? 
I don't really get that one, but let's put it in the Finn quote book. I mean, I know, were they in a McDonald's? I guess it's just confusing. It's like if they were in a McDonald's, that would make sense to me, but I think they were just in a New York diner. Uh, So they're like, where's Teddy? And he goes, who's Teddy? And they're like, give it up, man. We have your membership to his site and your chat with a 15-year-old who was actually a cop. And he goes, I'm a horrible person. I'm trying to get better. I'm seeing a shrink. And then this guy also admits that he's a teacher. Ugh, yikes. So they start grilling him about Sunshine Guy and helping Teddy run away from the nest and his mother's house. And they're like, his mother's house isn't the nest. The Nest is uh, an apartment in a building called Eagle Plaza. That's why it's called The Nest, like Eagle. Teddy, so good at double entendre. So apparently this is where Teddy films his shows and he was going there to hide out. So Finn and Stabler walk into this massive apartment and they see pizza boxes, soda can, high-tech gear, a teen boy's fantasy crash pad, they call it. So honestly, any apartment where you could just go hang out would be a teen fantasy crash pad. This place is massive. Stabler checks out the last show uh, that's on the camera and it's Teddy talking to camera going, it might be a while before you guys see me. Things are getting pretty annoying here because I molested my brother and now the cops are after me. And he's gone, <laughs> he's gone to stay. He's He says, I'm going to stay with some friends in Oregon, which is not how you say it. And it just really made me laugh that he was like, Oregon, how a New York kid, I think, would say it. Then a visitor enters the room and Teddy's like, oh, hey, what's up? Like, he doesn't seem scared. He knows the guy. But then we see this guy wearing like a black leather jacket, just like chloroform Teddy and throw him over his shoulder and kidnap him. But you don't see his face, obviously. And the guy had his own key. Teddy's too young to lease that place on his own, so let's check out that angle. So now they're at the Eagle Plaza building talking to the, like, leasing guy or whatever who said that it was leased by uh, four months ago by a guy named Claude Henderson. One, two, three, four, Happy Town Lane. He pays with an out-of-state check, which is from Garfield, New Jersey. So now they roll up on Claude Henderson and surprise, it's an old man in a wheelchair who can barely speak and his nurse explains that his identity has recently been stolen. So obviously this apartment's being paid for with this poor old man's money. So if you've been wondering where the fuck Olivia's been, remember that the last episode was, I think the last episode of the episode before was Lou Diamond Phillips um, slashed her neck and then killed a little boy in front of hundreds of people. And there was the whole thing where her and Stable were maybe too close because he stopped to help her instead of the little boy. So she transferred to computer crimes, the computer crimes unit. So Finn and Stable roll up on her at a cubicle where she's tippy-tap typing and she looks shocked to see them. She's like, what are you doing here? And they're like, we need your help. Fade to commercial. Up on the last act, the top of the last act, Liv is talking to them and is like, even if Morales wanted to, he couldn't track these pedophiles. He doesn't have the software, baby, but Liv does. Hot off the press from Homeland Security. She's telling them how terrorists have gone digital and that searches that used to take a day now take 20 minutes. And Stabler's like, wow, you're really into this. And she's like, "Uh, yeah, it's scams and fraud. I haven't seen blood or tears in weeks. I could use a break. So, and is this baby time? What is this break? Yes, what, yes, okay. yes. Because Lou Diamond Phillips told us that she was pregnant in that scene. Like, you know, like, and it was, so I think that she, they're putting her in something where she can be behind a desk. She doesn't have to run after any perps or anything. And that's what's happening here with the computer crimes. She looks gorgeous. She's glowing. And so she explains to them that she's been following Sunshine Guy's activity and that the next time he chats with anyone, she can pinpoint exactly where he is. And, oh, 
ding dong, he just came online. And uh-oh, his IP is at Mercy Hospital. Finn's like, Jesus, first a teacher, now a doctor. What's next, the vice president? <laughs> okay. Um, and so they scurry away and a pregnant Mariska smiles at them. And then Elliot does this like high school boy thing where he kind of hangs out for like an extra second and he goes, see ya. And he's just like, like trying to act like he doesn't care, but he obviously does. And Liv is like, bye, <laughs> you know? And then I kind of, I like it. If you need to rewatch it, it's a funny little moment. And so the detectives bust into an exam room and fuck, it's a pediatrician. Like it couldn't just be an anesthesiologist. It's a full pediatrician. He says, his name is Dr. Lucas. And Finn is like, but I'll call you sunshine guy. And to his patients, he's like, this is a mistake. I'll be right back. But then to the cops, he goes, Teddy's gone and you'll never find him. Like truly like evil, this man. He like doesn't even try to hide it. He knows who Teddy is. And he's like, I helped hide him. And you guys are barking up the wrong tree. In a bars and cement room, is that what we're calling them? Yep. Bars and cement. Okay, so we're in a bars and cement room now. Elliot is talking to Dr. Lucas saying, if you help us, we can avoid a life sentence for you. And he says, why would I help you? You're trying to put Teddy in jail. And he says, I was in the hospital all day, so I've got an alibi. I didn't take Teddy. So it's like, okay, who did you send in your place? And he gives this like smug pedophile smirk, like, huh. I'll never tell. And then the guy's like, you don't care about Teddy. We do. And he goes, I'm not saying another word. And then it's like wild that he's just going to throw away his freedom and his entire career for this 14-year-old kid. <laughs> like that's like, sorry, I just like am willing to go to jail. I just love this boy so much that I've like never seen in real life. Um, Stabler goes to check in with Morales. He's at the end of his rope. He's searching everywhere on the internet, but these guys are so hard to find. No one is mentioning Teddy on the chat rooms or anything. And he's feeling really frustrated. Stabler's like, why don't you head home, man? Like, this seems like it's taking a toll on you. And he's like, it's too late. Teddy's dead and it's my fault. And Elliot gets a call and goes, I'll be right there. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not really dealing with Morales's issues. It's Liv, obviously. She pulled Lucas's cell phone records, calls and texts without a warrant. And she goes, I didn't think you'd want me to wait. So it's like, wow, computer crimes has made her a real rule breaker. So now... We know that he was texting with a guy named Goodfriend22, who's another subscriber, but Goodfriend22 is on a burner. Lucas won't talk to them, but they're like, Liv, maybe you can give it a shot. Maybe put on like a sort of oversized coat so we can't see your pregnancy and come give this guy, give it a shot. So now at the precinct, Liv says, she wasn't planning on coming back. And Stabler goes, it's in your blood. And she goes, yeah, that's the problem. So when they walk into interrogation, they find Morales there beating the shit out of this guy, Dr. Lucas, just like punching. Okay, computer door. Yeah, like, wow, somebody is stepping it up. And so he, at first Stabler goes, wait a sec. And then Liv's like, no, we have to stop this. And he's like, they, so they break them up and then he's like, sorry, Olivia, are you going to turn me in? And she's like, get the hell out of here. If I don't turn you in, this guy will. So Liv asks Lucas about good friend 22. He's still not talking. He says, it's not a kidnapping. Teddy went into hiding voluntarily. So then they show him the video where Teddy is like struggling being chloroformed. And they're like, does this look voluntary to you? And he goes, I just wanted to protect him. I love him. And this is what I learned on an episode of You're Wrong About, which is that a, like a real majority of pedophiles actually do not think that they are hurting kids. They think that they are in a relationship that involves a lot of love. So it's not true. It's not reality, but like that's what's going through their heads. So this man is, you know, loves Teddy, is in love with him. And he's saying he doesn't know the man in the video. And Liv starts 
playing him and is like, you know, this guy doesn't love Teddy like you do. Think of that boy you love with his perfect thin body. And now picture it bruised and broken and covered in blood. If he dies, it's on you. And the guy is like, truly like QAnon. He's like, this tape is fake. None of us would hurt Teddy. Like he cannot imagine that of a thousand subscribers, there's one guy that would take it too far. Can't imagine that. <laughs> um, Liv's like, he's like, we all just love Teddy so much. It's impossible. Liv goes, I guess he's not going to fall for it. And Stabler goes, I told you he was sharp. And then they just tell Lucas he can leave. And he's like, huh? And this is always a trap whenever they tell a perp that they're too smart for them or something. So obviously, they let him go so they can follow his ass, which is exactly what they do. He goes straight to an internet cafe like a moron. Stabler is staking out out in the car. Liv is back at her lab with her supercomputer. And Lucas is uh, chatting with good friend um, online who says, Teddy will be quiet. We are safe. And then they trace the call to Washington, the, the call, the text, the chat, whatever. They trace it to Washington Heights. And then they finally pinpoint an actual address on West 180th Street which I think is like where I lived when I was like two years old, but anyway, or one. So they bust into this house and a man starts immediately running upstairs. Stabler sacks him. They fight. There's punching. Like this guy punches, Stabler punches this guy a few times, but then the guy gets a couple in on Stabler. Then the guy has a fire poker and Stabler, he kind of, smack Stabler's gun out of his hand. They struggle. They land on a coffee table together. Finally, Stabler just like fucking cock, cold cocks him like three times and just knocks him out. And then uh, Finn comes up and says, Teddy's not downstairs. So they go into the bedroom that's like right next to the room where they've been like sparring. And Teddy is tied to a bed, gagged, crying. And so Stabler frees him and goes, you're going to be okay. And Teddy looks very understandably very upset. Like his life has been pretty terrible up to this moment. So now we're at St. Mark's Hospital. Teddy's talking to Stabler and he goes, you're right about those guys. They were all using me. I thought they were my friends. I thought they loved me and they ruined my life and now I'm all alone. And Stabler's like, what about your family? They're the ones who love you. And he's like, they'll never forgive me. And he's like, no, they know it's not all your fault. And then the mom comes in and says, are you okay? And he says, I'm not okay. And he apologizes to his mom. They hug, there are tears. Hopefully this is going to be a, you know, growing moment for the family and they can all get the therapy that they need and, you know, at least be communicating with each other. Like teens shut down all the time, but this teen needs to be talking to somebody. So Stabler walks out, Donna, AKA Red, approaches and he's like, you got some nerve. What are you here to like arrest him like in his hospital bed? And she goes, I'm going to grant Teddy immunity in exchange for giving up the names of the pedophiles. No jail. He'll go to a residential treatment facility and he'll get the help that he needs. So we got Captain Janeway to be chill about a 14-year-old victim. So now at the precinct, Liv comes out of Cragen's office and he goes, it was a tough decision, Olivia, but you made the right call. And Stabler's like, so you did it. She goes, I didn't have a choice. And he's like, whatever, Morales is a good guy. And Liv goes, you think I ratted him out? And he goes, no, no, I know that's not your style. And she goes, thanks. And then uh, he goes, so what are you doing here? And she goes, I work here. And then she sits down at his at her desk Stabler fights the urge to jump for joy. These two have like partner desks facing each other. And so that scene ends with just them going through papers together with just like lamplight on them. And that's Dick Wolf, baby. Benson and Stabler back together. Kara, I mean, that was an amazing recap. Thank you so much. You know what also was amazing? 
we are going on tour. I know we talked about it a little bit on the top, but some of you, I think, are fast-forwarding, and so here we are in your brains. Don't even touch that plus 30 button, you little bitch. I'm telling you about our tour. We are so excited, you guys. We love touring live. We can only go to cities if people come out. So we sold out DC, our first show. We added a 3.30 show. Please come to that. It would be so sad for our first show to have like 10 people, and then we do a sold-out show. Atlanta, City Winery, gorgeous venue. We're coming to you. Charlotte, the Comedy Zone, Raleigh, the Raleigh Improv out in Cary. We're so excited. My brother's going to be at that show. If you guys want to come and meet a clank, come on out. Then in October, we're doing Buffalo, New Haven, Burlington, Cleveland, Boston. Guys, we're doing a venue in Boston called the Wilbur. We, we basically are uh, really shooting our shot here with the Wilbur. It's a lot of seats. We really want us, we really want people to come. So if you know anyone in Boston who loves SVU, if you know anyone in Boston who's just like laughing, please send them our way. Come buy a ticket and see us in Boston. And then there's a ton more cities for the rest of uh, Toronto, uh, Detroit, Pittsburgh, and then a bunch of Midwest uh, dates out in uh, November that we can plug more later. But go to thatsmessuplive.com to find out when, where, get tickets, and we appreciate you supporting us. Now we'll be right back with a true crime. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. 
Okay, so this is such a wild case. So in 2005, a New York Times business journalist, Kurt Eichenwald, that's the way we're going to call him. That is his name. I just don't know if Eichenwald's the way you say it, but it must be. It is. You know about this guy? No, but I know you're saying it the right way. You read his stuff? Uh, You know, he sounds really familiar. I bet I have read something of his. So he did an interview and wrote a front page story in the New York Times about a teenager named Justin Berry, who was a teenage pornography star. And that's quoted in New York Magazine. I obviously wouldn't call a 13-year-old a child pornography star, but... You know, it was a different yeah. time. So Eichenwald had an interest in shedding light onto the world's dark places. Um, that's what New York Magazine said about him. But he just really enjoyed uncovering wrongdoing and bringing criminals to account. But when he started this story, he had no idea what he was taking on. So child exploitation was the last thing he was going to do. He's a business reporter. That is what he's known for. And he was looking for his next project. He wanted something international. So he typed into Google, Interpol fraud alert, and investigations. And that led him to a website called MexicoFriends.com. And he thought that was just going to be like, you know, cross-the-border money laundering, but it was actually an amateur porn operation starring Justin Berry, who at this time was 18 years old. And this journalist, Eichenwald, was very Maloney. Um, He had two young sons, and him and his wife just couldn't stop thinking about his own children. And he's like, we have to fucking do something. So um, what this is what started uh, a six-month investigation. And it was dark as fuck. So he's quoted in New York Magazine saying, this is an organized crime business. These are people. We're not talking about people with an affinity for scotch. They spend their days talking and living and breathing the sexual issues of children. And that's the thing. It's like, the wild thing about pedophiles is, you know, like a lot of people are just horned up, but like they can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. It's like an obsession. It's truly 24-7. Like, I, um, is it because it's so secret that it has to be all-encompassing, the secrecy, finding friends, like you have to manipulate? Like, I just wonder why they can't just be pedophiles a few time- hours a day. I wonder if that's part of it. It's like an affair, how an affair is addictive because of the secrecy or whatever, you know? Like, you think about it all the time because you're, like, breaking rules and you're doing something wrong and you're constantly worried about being caught, but also you are, you know... I think you are also obsessed with, you never hear about a pedophile that has like five to 10 child sex abuse images on their computer. It's always like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like it's like an addiction. Let us know if you know any casual pedophiles. (laughs) Just weekend guys. Yeah, Um, like, so weird. It's it just like, it becomes everything. So this article came out and it did result in congressional hearings, arrests, and, you know, he went on Oprah. There was like a lot going on. And Justin Barry, he ran a very lucrative business from his room. So he lived with his mother and stepfather and younger sister in Bakersfield, California, which is 90 miles north of LA. And he was a high-tech wizard and he had his own registered small website development business. So that was kind of his cover, but also he knew how to build websites. So his mom and everyone, they just thought he was like up there building websites and just like a tech dork. No one really like knew what was going on up there. Um, It was his secret. Um, And he was not popular, if you can imagine. 
not an in crowd type guy. And he went to the internet for friends. That's He craved friends and he went online to find some friends. And he heard that you can get a free webcam if you sign up for Earthlink, which was an internet service provider. So he signed up. So, which to me, it's like, did you sign up for your own internet? Like, did you have to talk to your parents to switch? Like, yeah. what was it? <laughs> so he set up his webcam and thought he would meet teens his age, maybe some girls, connect with his peer group. But instead, he was hounded by grown-ass men. And as soon as he hooked it up, like, that's what's messed up. So he loaded the software with his picture, and that's automatically posted on Spotlife.com as an internet directory of webcam users, along with his contact information. And it seems automatic and findable. So, like, what? Yeah. But but then I wrote like Instagram you can just find, but it is wild like that there's just a directory immediately if you get a webcam that people know your contact. Yeah. But what's what's your contact? Is is it email and name probably? I don't know if it's like phone number or anything like more. But either way, that seems that seems It's crazy. But it's like when you sign up for a website, it's like I forgot, like I had to go in and like take my home address off my website. Like because you can, there's a directory of websites where you can find out who owns every website. Like my website is now registered to my S Corp by name with no address. But originally it was like my name and my address in New York of my websites. And you have to like take that all down or it's because it's like the... GoDaddy does nothing to protect your privacy. Wait, this is like wild and fr- I didn't know that. Yeah, if you have a website, like just make sure to check your like ICANN or I think that's what it's called, directory setting that shows like who owns the website because it could have some of your personal information. Damn. I just thought this was so wild, but it's happening today. Yeah. I hope GoDaddy doesn't try to advertise not, with us. It's also not a photo. Like that to me is like, oh, a hot, cute 15-year-old, like not to call a 15-year-old hot, but you know what I'm saying? Like a picture of a cute 15-year-old goes up and there's predators out there. That's what they're looking for. It's like the photo part of it. It makes it a little bit more um, scary too. And are these pedophiles discerning or it's like, there's a 15-year-old, let's go. <laughs> or it's like, yeah. no, not this one. Like, I'm, you know, like- how discerning. If a kid I'm is down. Sure. I'm sure they have preferences. I don't know. So, anyways, so so the predators came very quickly. Okay. They they saw his little face. They had his info and yeah. they went in. So they chatted him up, gave him tons of compliments, offered him gifts, and Justin Barry just saw it as friendship. He is a child. So yeah, these adults go on like regular sites, legitimate sites, and then groom the children and then eventually ask for, you know, sexual abuse images. So these men, predators, pedophiles, taught him how to make an Amazon wish list and started sending him gifts. And then one afternoon in the year 2000, in the year 2000, was that a thing? (laughs) Yeah, Conan. Yeah. So one of his audience members offered him $50 instantly via paypal.com to sit bare-chested in front of the webcam for three minutes. And Barry divulged to the reporter that he figured like, listen, it's kind of just like taking your shirt off at the pool. I do that for free. What's the difference? And then he took off his T-shirt and the men, direct quote, oozed compliments. We don't need to use the verb ooze uh, in this article at all. 
Eichenwald. Come on, man. <laughs> and we can just get compliments without oozing. Ooze yeah. is a bad word. Ooze is a bad word. I just did a podcast that at the end they do the um, actor studio questionnaire that Lipton always did at yeah, the end. Yeah. And it said, what's your least favorite word? And I should have said ooze. I what did you said. say? I said facetious. Oh, you hate facetious? Yeah, I think it's people that are kind of dumb, pretend that they're smart because they know that one word. <laughs> I think it's yeah. a snobby, um, like big, like silly Is it, does word. It mean, does it mean anything different from sarcastic? Oh, I thought it meant like, I don't know, look it up. Like, I thought it meant like you're being a little asshole. I'm like being you're being facetious. You're being a little asshole. Treat, treating serious issues with deliberately inappropriate humor. Flippant. Okay. I thought I'm being facetious meant like I'm being sarcastic. Like I'm kidding, but it, it is, it is. It's like I'm being, I'm being, I'm joking, basically. You could just say I'm kidding, but you're saying I'm being facetious. <laughs> yeah, it's just you're being, to me, yeah. it's like a false, it's like a fake big word where... Well, I guess we didn't really know what it meant either, but I just feel like it's used by people that are trying to prove something that they really don't have. Yeah. Oh, I should go on that podcast so I can talk about how mine is mama. <laughs> mama. I hate mama. What if your kids say it? They say it all the time. I don't like when an adult calls me mama. I don't want to hear it ever. Like, hey, like mama. It. Hey, mama. Oh, that's Ooh. why you hate Heather Thompson. <laughs> That's a real housewife for those with her who big dino, her like big super smile. All right, I'm doing that on camera, but you can't see me. <laughs> okay, so we we're all uh, yeah. Ooze is for slime only. So outside of the money and the compliments, the men also filled an emotional void in his life, and so he was a prime target for these criminals. Um, he had a bad relationship with his dad after his parents got divorced. There was an instance of abuse that was reported. The dad slammed Justin's head into a wall and it required seven staples in his scalp. But this fucker was found not guilty in court and acquitted. Okay. Jesus. Justin was longing for paternal affection, said family members to the New York Times. So that was the start to the secret life. So, you know, he would sell his images of his body for the next five years. Um, and like I said, his mother, Karen Page, was just like, I didn't think anything was out of the ordinary. Nothing seemed weird. He was just a boy with a talent with computers. And he liked being online. And he explained that all of his expensive equipment from the success of it was from his web development business. You know, and his grades stayed the same, uh, even though he had like increased um, absences because he's just like webcamming all the time. But during the day, he was playing soccer, he was on the honor roll, and at night, he was performing in front of a webcam, undressing, showering, masturbating, and having sex for an audience of more than 1,500 people who paid him over the years hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. And he wasn't the only one. So this investigation found sites like this where teens are operating two pedophiles in their rooms while their parents chill in the next room. Yeah, maybe the family computer in the living room wasn't the worst thing. It's very, I think, our age, but like, yeah, there was just like one computer in the kitchen. And that's that. Yeah. That, you know, no TVs in your room, no computers in your room. Do your homework <laughs> in the kitchen. Like, that was a good time to be alive. And since, <laughs> except, yeah, you would, I think you got caught because you didn't. I'm sure comedy ensued, all, all the family and the tabs, the history. Okay. 
But anyways, and since this was like a new thing, a new endeavor of the internet, it didn't get attention of law enforcement or youth protection agencies. Erin E. Allen, chief executive of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at the time said, this is a variation on a theme that we haven't seen. It's unbelievable. Like they knew the predators would be using webcams, but it didn't occur to them that the teens would be doing their own shows with the webcams. And for the teens, like you're a teen, the idea of easy money, fast, what is better than that? Like, I taught swim lessons and got 14 an hour, and that was huge. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just watched this movie called Jawline. Have you ever heard of it? It's like a documentary, um, and it's on Hulu, and it's about this kid who became like sort of an influencer or whatever in the camming war, like, but not in camming for sexual, like just kids camming with each other. So this kid is basically like lives in Bumblefuck, Tennessee, and he's 16 years old. And he just kind of like gets shirtless on this website called You Now, but it's for girls. And you can like invite people in the way you can on Instagram. Like, you know, if you're doing a live, you can just invite someone to like be on with you. Like he could invite, and the girls all flip out when he invites them in. But he's like a very small time celebrity, like on this website called you now, but all these kids are using it. So he'll be like, I'll be at the mall this weekend and like 20 girls will show up to like see him at the mall or whatever. And they send him like money and tip jars and stuff like that. So it's like, I didn't know all that shit was going on in like a not sexual way. I mean, it's kind of sexual, but they're teens. It's like, there's no actual nudity or anything. It's just girls that have crushes on these like boys with like hot chiseled jawlines, which is why the movie's called Jawline. Anyway, just like, I had no idea the camming world was so big. I feel like I just missed it. But like, this is 2016, 2017 that this kid's get like doing all this. But I'm sure there's pedophiles there pretending to oh, be young girls. I'm sure too. But the, the thing is, is like, they're all on cam. So if a pedophile was to be on there, I think they would oh. get kicked off. Like they're all like using the visual of it. So it was a little bit, yeah, it was just like an interesting piece of the social media online space that I really just knew jack shit about because I assumed webcamming was mostly just, you know. If I was a parent and my kid asked me for money to give to some teen boy, I would say, I would hit that kid. I'd I say, know. absolutely not. I know. It's like, where are they I'll getting? I'll take you to the mall, bitch. I'll take yeah. you to the mall. Like digital hearts and gifts and like, oh, you know. Like, does this kid even sing? No, that's the thing. Oh my God, you got to watch this documentary. It's fucking crazy. They, the so a manager offers to manage him, and they they go on tour. These kids go on tour. These kids that are big on these sites, and when they go out, they just go to these big things where it's a million screaming girls, and they just come out on stage and jump around. They're like, "All right, girls, are you ready for Jordan?" And he just comes out and will be like, "What's up?" And sometimes the kid can do a flip or something, but they don't sing. They will sometimes do a little choreographed dance, but it's like they're just influencers. And it, it actually, part of it is a house of kids that live in LA together with this manager who manages them. It's crazy. But the manager's this 21-year-old gay kid. And so, you know, he's not really like, he's just in it for like to exploit them for the money. It's just wild. So, but when the Times found Justin, he was 18 years old and 
they persuaded him to abandon his business and to help protect other children at risk. They helped him contact the Justice Department and then arrests and indictments of adults he identified as pornography producers and traffickers began. He revealed that a group of more than 1,500 men paid for his online images. And so the Justice Department also focused on the businesses, like I said, the credit card processors, and basically anybody that created, distributed, marketed, possessed, or paid to view such content was open to criminal charges. So with all this, they also found out, so these men, all these pedophiles, they work together and they like meet in other little secret corners of the internet and they discuss strategy online and sharing advice on how to trap their young victims, you know? So it's like how to persuade them to go a little bit further each time. And Justin talks about how each request was slightly above the last. So each new step never struck him as that different or extreme. The Times was able to get info on the 1,500 people who paid Justin and analyzed the background of 300 of them nationwide. And a majority of the sample consisted of doctors, lawyers, businessmen, teachers, and most, like, just tons of people who work with children on a daily basis. Yeah. So yeah, the internet brings all these pedophiles together. So like back in the day before the internet, they were just like freaks in a corner of their house. Um, And so here they're able to swarm together, but same with all these internet teens. So the the teens also had a community and they called themselves the cam whores. And they are a community, they were a community of business-owning teens. And so they were able to bond over these pervs and the fucked up shit that was asked of them and how scary it was. So they would also be like, God, these fucking pedophiles. And the pedophiles would be like, how do we get these kids? So it's a lot of communities online. And so the abuse came into the physical world. So Justin once was molested by one of his subscribers twice. So once he was invited, he invited him to attend a computer camp and molested him. And the other time he enticed Justin to Michigan to have sex with a girl that he would arrange. And both times the man molested him. He was also once given thousands of dollars to meet Gilo Tuno, a former Intel employee, to visit him in Vegas at a hotel. And he was molested by him many times. And one of the assaults was videotaped. And Justin later handed that tape over to the FBI. After that, he was pissed and emboldened and started to push like the the perv army around. And he started charging more and waiting longer to respond. And he realized like, oh, these people have no fucking life outside of being pedophiles. They are pedophiles 24-7. And this Tuno guy also rented an apartment for Justin. So um, like he just thought it was getting too much to be like it with in the house with his parents. Like, what if they find out? So he got an apartment that was just, like, very close down, like, to his parents' house. The dude signed a lease and helped him pay for it. And he just started doing shows from that apartment. And he would tell his mom, like, oh, I have plans with friends. And then he would go to that apartment and... Cam. Damn. Um, by the time this article came out, um, this Gilo guy, though, was already serving eight years for an unrelated sexual abuse charge. So I'm sure he just had to stay in jail for longer. And now a part that's also ripped, like SVU ripped from the headlines that I can't believe is real that, you know, that's in all these teen movies. But in 2003, a former classmate found some of the pornographic photos of him and made copies and handed them out around town and to students at his school. Justin was obviously made fun of and beaten, and he begged his mom, like, please let me homeschool, please let me homeschool. And she said yes. Now, if things can't get any worse. So then he ran away to Mexico. 
um, with his fucked up father. So the father, um, like, weaseled his way back into Justin's life and they went away to Mexico. And in Mexico, Justin confessed to his dad everything he had been doing. Did the dad help him and get, get out of the life? Absolutely not. He became a collaborator and created a new site where he would have live sex with sex workers in Mexico. And he became the internet's most sought after underage star. So Jesus. That's a sick sentence. He then developed a weed and cocaine habit. And then his dad started splitting the money with him and because he would go get the sex workers. And then another pedophile weaseled his way into visiting and molesting Justin. His name is Greg Mitchell. He's a 36-year-old fast food employee. And he was arrested and charged with six child pornography charges stemming from this case. So at this point, Justin did want out of this life. He just kept getting molested. His dad is like his pimp. Like, he just wanted out of the life. But was brought back into it by Mr. Mitchell, the molester, because this Mitchell guy also became a partner and was helping um, recruit other minors for content. So that was like the tipping point. He turned 18 and he's a legal adult now. So, you know, that changes charges, that changes the criminality of everything that he's doing. And one day he started communicating with someone he thought was in law enforcement. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to give into this. I want to go to jail. I need to go to jail. I need to get out of this life. But it wasn't a law enforcement officer. It was the reporter from the New York Times, Eichenwild. Great timing. Great timing, dude. So they met at LAX. He finally like convinced him to come to LAX by paying him. We'll get into the in depths of all this, but paying him two thousand dollars. He was like, "Just come, you know. I'm gonna come molest. Like, come molest. I'm gonna come to LAX. I'll molest you for two thousand dollars." And so Justin flew, and then Eichenwald's like, "Listen, I'm not a pedophile." And Eichenwald had a books published, so he's like, "Listen." look, these are books I've written. Here's my photo, the jacket. Like, I'm not a pervert or a cop. I'm here to help you. Barry was high as fuck. He was sick. And he was 6'1 and 109 pounds. Like, he was not doing well. And so they talked over a few days and legit, he's like, I want to stop. So he finally abandoned his life of porn and drugs and it knocked sense into him. And he was like, fuck, this is a mess. I speak to thousands of pedophiles on a daily basis. Like this is not a good life. He got rid of his phone, fled to a part of the country. Nobody would find him and he sobered up. And then within a week, he was giving out names and locations of children who were actively molested or being exploited by adults. And he called Eichenwild around 9 p.m. one day and said so many kids are in danger and somebody has to do something. And Eichel Wild and that moment was like, okay, so this is a news story. We'll get into all that in a moment. So then Justin contacted Stephen M. Ryan, who's the former federal prosecutor and partner at a private law firm in Washington. Um, And he came on board with all this. And so Mr. Ryan contacted Child Exploitation and Obscenity section of the Justice Department and told them he had a client that had evidence that could put away a lot of pedophiles. And so he sat down with the FBI and began to spill. And children, he believed, were in the hands of predators, marketers, credit card processor. Like, you know, he told everyone that. Anyone that supported the webcam child abuse images. Evidence from his hard hard drives and financial information and conversation transcripts with his members, like all records were turned over um, for immunity. Like he did want immunity, but they didn't know if they could give him immunity. So the FBI and the departments just like had to debate, like 
did you do harm though, like to other people and by hosting the website, like, are you a criminal? So they ended up offering him immunity after 50 days. So they conferred for 50 days and he officially became a federal witness. They arrested Mitchell and he got 150 years in federal prison. They raided an LA computer server. Tim Richards was a marketer. He was arrested. Hundreds of thousands of computer files were seized all across the country. And then, so the article's about to come out, right? Before the article went out, it went through 44 drafts by 11 editors. And also, though, like, the editors were not happy, but Eichenwald was, like, flipping out, and he wanted the article out. And so he was, he, like, refused to let them edit it anymore. And he's like, it needs to publish today. So it came out. Now, Like I said, we're going to get to this. So we're here. You might be like questioning maybe the ethics of the reporting or what went down. You're probably not, but there was a lot of issues. Um, But the New York Times is like, listen, we encouraged youths to shut down their sites, speak to their parents and seek counseling. So like we did nothing but like have these victims in mind. But when New York Magazine asked him like how as a journalist he could justify this charade that he did, he explodes, in quotes, he explodes in angry self-defense. Do you think I wanted to be the first journalist to go to jail for allowing a child to continue being raped because I didn't want to violate some Star Trekian non-intervention rule that isn't written down anywhere? But like, okay, so the $2,000, though. So, you know, I can, it all came to light in 2007 that Iken Wild gave Mr. Barry $2,000. But he said that that money was to like lure him to LAX and that he was not acting as a journalist. And before he wrote the article, he made Justin give him back the $2,000. So that's the claim. So they're like, wait, what the fuck? We just found that you paid, you know, journalists can't pay. Sources, that. yeah. Okay, yes. So um, it was just shady that the $2,000 was there. And he said that after, like, helping him escape, that he told Justin, you need to pay me back this $2,000, and then we need to write this story. And Justin got a loan from his grandmother to do that. So he's saying all above board. And also, and so there are a lot of opinions on this journalist. But at the end of the, he did win a pain award for ethics and journalism because of this article. So I don't know. It's, it's why he won an ethics award, but also everyone is like, are you ethical? We hate you. Um, his reporting methods were under intense scrutiny by other journalists, by pro-sex activists, which I don't know why they would. Like, these people are underage. What do you? What is a mm-hmm. pro-sex activist? And by people whom um, his investigations helped put in jail. He in two thousand seven was like, "Fuck, my career is over," and he started blaming people and like, you know, he was like, "I am the people I put in jail, the pedophile." Blame, blame, blame. But like, also, he did have a great career and nothing. Like, he had one blip where people were like questioning him because this is intense. But like, he's a crybaby. He worked at the New York Times from nineteen eighty five to two thousand six. He also wrote the book, The Informant, and produced the movie that was based on the book with Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. He's written five books total. And he also then did work as a senior writer at Newsweek and a contributing editor for Vanity Fair. And he does say that the boy in the picture he saw on that website on accident stopped being a potential story. Then it became a rescue mission. And in hindsight, he does think he should have emailed the cyber tip hotline 
But instead, he got a minister to help and, like, to get him out and posed as a pervy fan and make contact. But he does think, in hindsight, he should have reached out to the departments. But in the future of that, it's like Justin had a lot of issues with all these investigators because he just thought it'd be fast. He's like, I know all these kids that need help. Let's go, let's go. And then he has all these interviews where he's just like, what the fuck? They're taking forever. Like he went on Dr. Phil and was like, what the fuck? Like we need to help these people. And I guess um, all the government, like the FBI, the Justice Department, they were all just like too slow for, you know, Justin, kind of like Kate Mulgrew's character where it's like, what are you waiting for? Yeah. Um, but like but I, journalists have been giving, like slipping 50 bucks, I'm sure, for info for a long time. And like, yes, this is a bigger amount and it like looks sketchy, but I don't really think you did anything. I think it's worth it. Yeah, exactly. Like ethics or not, it did lead to a lot of good, this article. And he, in New York Magazine, he's quoted saying, it's the most noble thing I've ever done. Okay. Yeah. Just Justin stood um, up for him and said he's a wonderful guy and seeing him get criticized makes me sick to my stomach. So uh, that was quoted. So sadly, Justin Barry disappeared in Mexico on August 21st, 2018, when he was 32 years old and he is thought to be dead. But maybe no he just, maybe he just, um, maybe he got some like face surgery and just started his fucking life over. Yeah. yeah. You know? Because it's like, you can't escape the internet once you're fucking all over the internet, you know? Maybe he is alive and he just like started a new life. But that's just me being I hope optimistic. So. I hope so. Wow, I can't believe how much of that is like right from the episode too. Like the episode pulled so much from that. That's so crazy. Well, you know, Neil Bear read that article in the yeah. New York Times. Yeah, and he was, was like, ready to get go. going. Yeah, because you said this all came out in 05, 06 and this episode was out in the middle of 06. So, Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for, so thank you so much for that. Well, so as you know, we don't have a guest. We are in a strike, but you know, Kara and I can talk, so we'll be chatting. So listen to our nice little jingle and we'll be back with our closing statements, arguments, objection. You're out of order. Yes, we've had no guests, but yes, we are going to keep on talking. So what did we think about Webb? Jesus Christ, don't give your child a computer. No tech. Yeah, I know. It's there so, should be one family computer in the kitchen. That's it. Get them June bugs. Get them flip phones, Nokias. Like, we have to go backwards. This life is not good. How, like, do you not feel your brain is rotted? Take the phones out of your children's hands. <laughs> Take the iPads out and one computer in the house and let's revolutionize things. This is yeah. not, the internet is not safe for children. Yeah. I'm sorry. These people are hunting your children on the internet. I sound like I'm in QAnon and I apologize. No. I sound like I It's am. really crazy. No, like the, the, yeah, no, it's really dangerous. I, I oh, mean, my son's be. a computer programmer. You better watch what the fuck he's doing. Yeah. Like, if he's even better than you at the computer, what makes you think? Like, I don't know. I, it just, it's really sad. It's so sad. And even with the character where it's like this fake empowerment in a way where they feel empowered, like they have control, but right. it's like they are being, you know, when you're older by decades, you're going to be able to manipulate a child. And it is just horrifying. Yeah, totally. And I... God, I hope Justin Barry is still alive, but it doesn't look good. But 
Yeah. Bad parents. Like to be a parent and then it's kind of Chris Jenner when you think about it. I mean, Chris Jenner made that sex tape. She's she has truly pimped out her kids, you know? Yeah. Chris Jenner is the model of like a criminal parent, except it worked for her. Yeah. If I this mean, was a situation like- where it didn't work out and they weren't hundred millionaires, billionaires altogether. Yeah. It no, would, it's like it's like that up that doc that I brought up jawline. It's like these ki- this kid is living in rural Tennessee, sharing a bed with his brother, going to the kitchen. There's nothing to eat. So obviously, like if he goes online and is starting to get objectified or take your shirt off for a tip or whatever, that can obviously be a slippery slope. But it's like people are just trying to like these people are just trying to like rise above their station, and their parents are kind of just like. Yeah, whatever you need to do to get the hell out of here or get us some money. And yeah, parents exploiting is Well, bad. and I hope this is just something on the internet that's being overly like sens- sexual, <laughs> sensationalized. Wow, so many words could work. <laughs> but I saw like their regular kids just doing cameos and their parents make them do cameos and it's them wishing like grown men happy birthdays and stuff. And it's just like a 14-year-old, 12-year-old. Oh my God, uh- Doing cameos for creepy people. And I just hope it's not. I do have cameo if you'd like a not perverted cameo. Yeah. We're on it sometimes. Or or perverted if she feels like doing that. She's of age. She can decide. I I can decide. (laughs) I do remember you doing your, I remember you doing your pandemic cameos in your Taco Bell bikini top. Having a time. time. (laughs) People will still do it. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not in financial crisis. So it's different. I I used to do a joke about that. I should. Should try to bring that back. Bring write that some baby new jokes. back. Got to write new jokes. Honestly, um, pay attention to what your kids are doing on the internet. Spyware, air tag them. I'm all for it. I don't yeah. care. I don't think they need. Pro- don't read their journal. But I know oh, it's I really know. hard. I'm not even like, making sense. I'm just. Upset. It's really hard because everything that we think we know, like we think we're internet savvy, and like honestly, I do not think I'm internet savvy. <laughs> well, like. Well, we think we know like Instagram, TikTok, whatever. There's all these apps we've never heard of. Kids can figure out how to hide browsers in what looks like a calculator. Like there's someone all kinds recently of shit. while I was trying to find someone at the Grove, they said, "Drop me your pin," and I said, "I don't know how to do that." And then <laughs> they're younger than me, and they wrote, "LOL," and I, I I don't know how to do it. And then I was trying to sell merch in Sacramento, and oh, just got my fucking. Refund for the Madonna concert. I knew she was going to do it. I knew she was going to do that. But it's kind of nice to get all that money back. It was not cheap. A windfall. It feels like a windfall. But I think, I don't believe that she was sick. I think she didn't want to compete with Taylor and Beyonce. And I think that's why she canceled it. That's my, uh, sorry to be real. Yeah, I don't think she liked the idea of not being like the biggest, hugest tour and was like, oh, I'm not ready. I'm out of here. Does the bacterial infection last months? I mean, God forbid. I mean, I hope she's not sick. I hope she's faking, yeah. like, faking it. Well, her. she was just partying in Lisbon for her birthday. I think she's fine now, but I don't know if she's touring ready, but who knows? But I that that's a very good point. I mean, even Gaga has had tours where she's had trouble setting, selling tickets. So it's like, you can't guarantee, you know. Oh, but this is what I was going to say. So I have my Venmo on my phone up so people can scan the code. But it, it, the the screen kept going dark. And then someone was like, I work at Apple and you can definitely switch it in the settings. And I, I was like, what? <laughs> like, I I don't know. These kids are out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I switch my settings before if I'm like trying to use my phone for a set to like remember jokes or whatever. I'll like have it so it doesn't go dark. But yeah. I'm just always on low battery mode because I'm trying to save the juice. Always. Yeah. Always saving the juice. As we tell everybody, ditch your phones, but here's how we can't be without our phones for three seconds. Yeah, but my brain's already ruined. We're talking about the yeah, future. the like, new generation. Gen yeah. Z's brains are ruined too. They're addicted. They had COVID. They're depressed. They're manic, okay? The world's ending. I'm talking about your kids. The yeah. people that are listening now, you have tiny kids. You got to shelter them from the internet. They don't have iPads. They do, they do TV, but they don't have iPads. And the only thing they know on my phones is happy stickers, which are emojis that Rosie likes to send to you and other friends. Well, I know, um, which is so cute. But it was funny when I got a text from you, but I was driving. So I made my car talk and they were like, bat emoji, smile emoji, dance <laughs> emoji. emoji. Star, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I was like, oh, this is a rosy message. This is a rosy message. <laughs> Gotta shut that shit down. Okay, so I thought for this week's What Would Sister Peg Do, which is our weekly segment where we point you to a website, blog post, podcast, episode, documentary, something to give you more information about what we talked about today. I would point you guys to this cool website that I found called The Porn Conversation. It is a nonprofit organization that provides free and easily accessible tools in English, Spanish, French, and German for families and educators to talk to young people about sex, beginning with the topic of porn literacy. It was a nonprofit founded by Erica Lust. Have you heard of her? She is a porn producer, filmmaker. She's an indie porn filmmaker and she makes like, uh, she founded Erica Lust Films. And I guess this website is founded also with uh, her husband, Pablo Dobner, and they promote sexually intelligent narrative porn. So in her, on her website, she says, porn can be misogynistic, racist, and violent and leaves young people of all genders and sexualities with a misunderstanding of what sex is and what respectful relationships look like, end quote. So the porn conversation promotes a sex-positive, pleasure-based, and age-appropriate dialogue. Literally, there's a PDF per age where you can be like, oh, my kid's like eight to 12 or my kid's 12 to 15 or whatever. And you can download these. And there's all kinds of like ways you could just talk to kids about like what they're seeing on the internet and what, you know, but this is a, she's a Swedish erotic film director, this woman. So she's in the business and she's just like, I don't, you know, I think she wanted to make sure that there's sort of like educational conversations that are not shaming porn at all, but are talking to kids about it in a educational way. So um, for more info, the website is called thepconversation.org. So that will be linked as usual in our stories the day the episode comes out, and we will save it forever uh, in our WWSPD highlight. And speaking of our highlights, if you're interested, our teachers might still be trying to get some of their items that they need on their Amazon wish lists for the school year. So if you have a minute, we have a highlight that's called teachers. Click through, give, uh, see if you can give like some post-it notes, $5, send by people, help these teachers that are using their own money to buy supplies for kids. So fucked up. But also Rosie's backpack looks really cute with her little monogram. Dude, that little L.L. Bean backpack is the backpack everybody had when I was a kid, but like the bigger one for high school and middle school. And my parents got me the wrong one and the monogram was fucked up. And I was just like, I hate you guys forever. So I really wanted to get Rosie the good one. So I got her that. It's Even though West Coast, I'm sure no one gives a shit about L.L. Bean. <laughs> like, no, not I was about person. to say, this is definitely your upbringing for sure. She picked it because it's blue. She likes it because it's blue. And then I was like, oh, it's cute. It's L.L. Bean. Um, Next week, we're doing Born Psychopath, everybody. Born Psychopath. Kind of like 
Kara's daughter, Rosie, JK. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I called her a psycho so many times over these past two and a half weeks. Maybe I should watch myself. A hundred percent you should. I get, you, like, I get being like, what are you talking about? You're being psycho. <laughs> have you not seen Wicked? You don't want, you know what I mean? Is it nurturing yeah. nature and you're nurturing her to become a psycho if you keep doing that? <laughs> Now we have season 14, episode 19 is Born Psychopath. We're obsessed with all of you. See us live. Give us a review. Go to our Instagram. Send us a DM and watch us view. Bye. Bye, guys. Forever. JK, just till next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.